Light Church family, and welcome to uh, the Good Friday message. Um, I'm sure it's a very strange way. <laughs> uh, you never would have imagined this time last year, either myself, that we'd be uh, celebrating Good Friday in this way. But um, yeah, I hope that you're encouraged and built up through this time. We're going to be um, celebrating the Lord's Table together as well. So uh, I trust that you have your elements prepared there at home, and we'll uh, move towards that at the tail end of the message. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, a time where you felt powerless, um, where you didn't have the power to, to do something in a situation, but I remember a clear time when I experienced that. I was just in, in grade one, and uh, my teacher was having this issue where some of her students, especially the ladies, that their friend would go to the toilet, and then a few minutes after their friend went to the toilet, um, they would put their hand up and say, Miss, could I go to the toilet as well? And the teacher would let them go. And then she'd find that they'd be just colluding in the toilet for a long period of time and doing whatever they did and came back. And so my teacher decided she was going to stop this. So what she did, she said, all right, no one is allowed to go to the toilet. That was her way of stopping it. And so I took her at her word and uh, I had this problem. I needed to go to the toilet. And again, I felt this powerlessness. I felt like I, I really need to go, like I'm busting. I remember sharing my issue with one of my friends and I didn't know what to do and but I, I just knew my teacher had said, I, no one can go to the toilet. And that's what I needed to do. So I held on as long as I could. I tried really hard. But in the end, I just sat on my chair and I did a wee. I wet my pants. And uh, that day, I had to go home with a, a change of clothes that somehow my teacher produced. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, but I definitely felt that powerlessness. And uh, I want to share with you a passage from the Bible that describes something similar to that. If you have your Bible, you can open now. Uh, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 4, and I'll read shortly uh, verse 6 and 7. This is Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel have just presented an offering to God, and God has accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's an interesting thing that the Lord said to Cain at this point. He said, sin is crouching at your door. It's like this sinister thing. If you picture someone crouching at the, the, the door, they're about ready to spring up and try and catch you. And uh, that's how the Lord captured what sin was doing in this moment to Cain. And as you know, if you read to the rest of the story in Genesis chapter 4, Cain actually succumbed to sin at that point in time. And sin crashed at his door and overcame him. And uh, what Cain ended up doing was murdering his brother Abel. And if you read throughout the Bible, if you look through uh, history, you will see that this has been a struggle for every person in every generation, the struggle against sin. Sin is crouching at the door, but we must rule over it. But what we see clearly demonstrated through the Bible as you look through the pages of it is that no one has been able to overcome the power of sin until one man, and you know who that is, it's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was able to overcome the power of sin in a mighty and powerful way. And you see it, the, clearly, uh, the scriptures clearly testify to this. They say um, that there was no sin um, there was no deceit in his, his mouth, that he was a perfect human being and that he committed no wrong or anything like that. In some ways, it's kind of almost unimaginable that that could even be possible with 
you know, when you just think about our daily lives at the moment. But this is exactly what the Lord Jesus did. He lived without sin. And you kind of think, how did that happen? Like, how is it possible for Jesus to live a completely sinless life? And probably the answer that comes to a lot of us is, oh, well, he was the son of God. I'm not the son of God. Let me say, you are a son of God. Maybe not the son of God. We're going to get to that a bit later. But there is power in being a child of God. Turn with me to John chapter 8. The Lord Jesus um, says something very interesting. And you know, when someone's done something really well, it's a wise thing to pay attention to what they explain about it. So if this man lived a sinless life, it's important for us to pay attention to what he talks to about sin. That's where we're going to find some good instruction. John chapter 8, 34, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews and he says this to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that passage, but essentially Jesus is saying everyone who does sin makes a practice of it, who in their actions sins and does something wrong, they are enslaved to the power of sin. And that again is echoing that conversation with sin crouching at the door back with uh, the Lord and Cain. But the Lord encouraged Cain, he needs to rule over it. And yet Jesus says, anyone who does sin is mastered by sin. And so we see the Lord separating out these two aspects of what the scripture describes as sin. One is sin is an action. And the other is sin as a master. And they are closely related, but two different things. If we act and do sin, then it points to the fact that we are actually mastered by sin, that we are enslaved to sin. That's what the Lord is is saying here. And that's what we see throughout the pages of Scripture and the history of the world. Even today, (laughs) you don't have to look far to find that truth. As Jesus said, truly, truly, this is the case. But he goes on to say this, you'll notice in verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now there the slave is us and the son is Jesus Christ himself. And the Lord is hinting that he has actually come to set us free from the power of sin. I don't know if you've seen that, if that's a new concept to you, but that is what one of the things that Jesus has come and done and we'll be celebrating it shortly, he's done it through the power of the cross. And we'll continue to unpack this. But I want you to imagine, you, you know someone and they've actually been enslaved. How would you go about setting that person free? What would you do? This is a very real thing for many people, even today, they are living in slavery. How would you go about setting someone free who's enslaved? Well, you might try and steal them away um, where their master cannot see them and uh, and. Uh, Yeah, and then that's a good outcome. They've left their master. They've been uh, liberated and they're able to live a free life. Or let's say, like in our case, we can't run away from the master of sin. How can you run away? Anywhere you run, you're going to find the presence of that master of sin within you. How are you going to run away from it? You can't. So what would you do then? In that case, you're trying to set your friend free and you can't get them to escape or run away from the presence of the master, how would you do it? You'd probably try then, as difficult or as hard as it might seem, to actually get rid of the master, to kill them and to remove them. You know what? God's done something very unusual. 
And he can do it because he's God. But he has actually not decided to kill the master of sin. He's decided to kill the slave. Yes, you. God has decided to put you to death, to set you free from the power of sin. You might think, well, that's a very unhelpful way of solving the problem. I might be free from being a slave to sin, but I'm now dead. What good is that? Well, it's no good unless, of course, you have the power of something like resurrection, which, of course, Jesus says that I am the resurrection and the life. And so he can do something that no one else can in the way that he sets slaves free. And that's what he does. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We're going to unpack this further. And Romans 6 explains a lot of how the Lord has delivered us from the power of sin. Let me read to you chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Notice there that a crucifixion happens. And it says that our old self, that old part of us, was crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ alongside so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you see that? That I'm not actually enslaved to sin physically in the sense that you can see a physical master of sin beside me here and you need to liberate me from this physical master. No, I'm enslaved to sin in a place that you cannot see within me. And so in that place that you cannot see within me, we see it by faith and by understanding the scriptures as we read and we meditate on passages like this. But that part of me and that part of you that we cannot see inside is enslaved to the power of sin. And so what happens then, the Lord has crucified that part of us, that old self is what the scripture describes it as, and put it to death that we are no longer enslaved to sin. That might be a new thought for you. It might be something a bit uh, strange to comprehend, but I encourage you to, to think about it, to wrestle with it, pray into it, read through this passage, and uh, yeah, we'll continue to unpack it a bit more now. You'll notice though in chapter 6 of Romans that what Paul does is essentially states many facts, many things that have taken place, many truths. He says at points, do you not know? Or he says, we know that. And he's saying these factual things, these statements of truth that we can capture and we can say, this is exactly what's happened. And all he does then is he just describes the implications of that. Well, if this is the case, if this is what we know, if this is the truth, well, then this should be the outcome. For example, right after verse 6 in verse 7, Paul says this, For one who has died has been set free from sin. You see, that's an implication of the previous factual truth that he said in verse 6, that we no, no longer enslaved to sin. And essentially, the whole chapter of Romans 6 is him unpacking a lot of these truths. Until we get to verse 11, let's read verse 11 to 14 together now. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. 
Let me just take that verse in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do you feel that that's a hard verse to fulfill? To not let sin reign in your body? That you're obeying what it desires and its passions? Absolutely, that would be hard if we were under the old covenant as Cain was. But we are actually under the new covenant and the son has done a work to set us free. So again, all of Romans 6 up until verse 10 is the implications. It's these factual truths. And then verse 11, it comes through to, all right, what is our responsibility now? What do we have to do? The ball is in our court now. But most of it is actually the work of Christ that God has done through him. So in verse 11, Paul writes, this is one of the things that we need to do. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin. And this is one of the first things that Paul says in this chapter. In verse 2, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Therefore, if it is true that God has crucified the old self within us, that we are no longer slaves to sin, then we must consider ourselves inwardly dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a responsibility that you have now to action this, your power of deliverance from sin. Let me take you back to my illustration (laughs) from my life. I didn't know in grade one that I was creating that illustration, but there you go. When I thought about my teacher and I thought, oh, she has said I cannot, no one, no one can go to the toilet. I fully believed that and took that to heart. Yet I'm sure, and what she told me later was if I had come to her and said that I really needed to go to the toilet, she would have seen that I was busting and needed to go. And I'll tell you what, she would have been (laughs) very um, unwise to have let me stay. She would have released me and let me go. But I didn't because I didn't have the confidence and the faith that she would let me go. I simply believed that that, uh, word that she had said, no one is allowed to go to the toilet now. And I took it to heart. The same in this situation, brothers and sisters. You see, if we are unable to take this truth to heart and fully believe it and say, you know what? Even though my experience in my past has been different, or even though I see many people who may have failed in this way, if I can take these truths to heart and consider the truth that I am dead to sin, my old self has gone, then I can see the reality of that coming. But as long as we are unable to take it to heart and we simply believe I'm never going to be free from the power of sin, then that is what we'll receive. Just as I received that myself when I was unable to believe that I could go to the toilet. Now, On the basis then of verse 11, on the basis of what Paul has unpacked already in chapter 6, he then writes verse 12. This is now our responsibility. The ball's in our court because as we are able to walk in this by faith, we are then able to fulfill this commandment as hard as it might sound right now, but we are able to, by the power of the cross and what Jesus has done, fulfill this commandment to not let sin reign in our mortal body to make us obey its passions. Now, there's one other thing that Paul gives us in this passage that is an action on our behalf. The first is to believe, to put faith and to trust, to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and then to practice that. But he goes on and he says this in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, 
but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, when Paul is talking about members there, he's talking about the parts of our body. These are the parts of our body that we use to commit sin. We cannot do anything wrong against someone if we haven't got a body. But sin makes use of our body and uses our old self to then manipulate the parts of our body that it can then fulfill its desires and create sin through our actions. And what Paul is saying here is now in our hearts, in our minds, we have to present our body to God, not to sin. We say, I've been set free, my fingers, my hands, my eyes, what I listen to, the places I go with my feet, what I think with my mind, these parts of my body are now consecrated and given over to God. They are no longer slaves to sin. I believe that. But now instead of presenting them to sin as I've so often done and I'm enslaved to sin, I now present them to God and say, this is your body. I'm a slave to you now. You, my Lord, have delivered me from the power of sin and I'm now enslaved to you. God, I tell you what, is the best slave you can have. But we're enslaved to God now. And through that, we present every part of our body. May my hand do what you want it to do. May my eyes watch what you want it to watch. May my tongue speak what you want it to speak. As it is in submission to you, Lord God. And then we will find that the members of our body do righteous acts. They do right things before God. And lastly, in verse 14, Paul says, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And again, you can see there, essentially the old covenant, one of the key parts was law and the new covenant, the key part of that is grace. And so we can see that we are not living in a time like Cain, where we are unable to overcome the power of sin, which crouches at our door. But we've actually been crucified inside. Our old selves are now dead, that we are no longer in slavery to sin, but we can serve the living God in freedom. Now, this might be new for some of you. This might be strange. It might be the first time you've heard this sort of thing. I'd encourage you, if it's the first time that you've heard this or you're grappling with these concepts or you're trying to make headway of what I'm saying, feel free to listen to this again if you get the opportunity. Or you can look at resources like the church has Freedom in Christ. Some of this teaching here is unpacked in Freedom in Christ. Um, Also books such as uh, Watchman Knees, The Normal Christian Life is a great resource in this area. Or you can just go to Romans 6 yourself, read through it, meditate onto it, pray. Ask the Lord, is this really true? What Paul is describing here, is this really true? And I tell you what, if it's in the word, we need to believe it. We need to put our faith and exercise our faith and trust in it and walk in that. I encourage you to do those things. If this is the first time that you're hearing about this uh, a kind of a teaching that we are delivered from the power of sin. For those of you who have heard this before, you're kind of aware of it or you know of it or you've wrestled with it. You've, you've delved into Romans 6. You've um, seen it in things like freedom in Christ or other teachings that you may have heard. And you see, yes, God has made it possible through the crucifixion of his son, Jesus, in crucifying myself there that I am free from the power of sin. If you're in that boat, then my question to you is, is your life producing the fruit of a life delivered from the power of sin? Because if not, then what you need to do is actually walk in faith to put your confidence in the work that Jesus Christ has done and say, all right, Lord, 
my body is not producing entirely the works of righteousness. It is producing the works of sin still. And I want to produce these righteous works. And that means that there is a need to exercise faith. Like all of us, as we grow spiritually, this is an area of growth. My son now, Justin, is learning to walk. And uh, he's only taking three or four steps and he's falling down. But I'm not, when he falls down, as a fa- his father, I'm not upset with him saying, Justin, what are you doing? No, I'm like, look at you go, son. You've just taken four or five steps. That's amazing. And I believe that's the same of the Lord's heart in areas such as this when we're growing. We might fail and fall down or our faith might waver. We might have doubts. But the Lord is not condemning us. He's simply saying, that was so good. Look how far you just came then in what you did. You've never done that before. Get up, try again. This is what the Lord is looking for us to do at this time. And lastly, if you have really been able to lay hold of this truth and you are living a life that is empowered by the deliverance of sin, then praise God, give thanks to him, rejoice in it. We're actually going to do this quite shortly in going to the Lord's table together and celebrating exactly what we've been looking at now. Because it is on Good Friday, the day that the Lord was crucified, that God did this work. And so at the Lord's table, we celebrate this together. So let's do that now. If you have your elements there, please take them. I encourage you as well, um, in line with uh, 1 Corinthians 11, to spend some time just to sit quietly. And if there's something that you can see that the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to that might prevent you from coming in a way that the Lord desires to the table, then just deal with that now. I'll give you a moment to do that. Let me read this passage from 1 Corinthians 11, 23. Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the believers, they would break bread together. And that's what we're doing. We're virtually together. As Paul would say, we're together in spirit. So let's take the bread now and celebrate that this is Jesus' body given for his church. You can take the cup. And this represents, as we know, the blood of Christ, which has been shed for us. And remember again that on the cross, Jesus died that we might be able to be crucified there with him in our old selves and that we might be delivered from the power of sin. Paul describes this as the cup of blessing. And it is that because in this cup, we celebrate the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness that we have over every sin, every time that we've been mastered by sin and we have acted and done sin, the Lord Jesus' blood 
has been shed for us. Let's drink together. Well, I trust you've been encouraged. And uh, please feel free, if you have questions or thoughts um, or things that you're wrestling or musing with after I've um, shared this message, uh, please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. May the Lord continue to enrich your life and walk in Him. Amen.